very confident here, but positioned for deliverance, the scripture I'd like to take you to is to Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 24, and then 35 to 43. Mark chapter 5, if you have your Bibles with you. I'm going to talk to you about being positioned for deliverance. I spoke about position for power, I think it was um, on Saturday. Mark chapter 5, do we have that? Mark chapter 5, 21 through 24. Thank you. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. Next verse. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed and that she shall live. 24, and Jesus went to him, and much people followed him and thronged him. They surrounded him. We skip to 35. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter, and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept, and wailed greatly. 39, and when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleeps. And they laughed him to scorn. And when he had put them all out, that's my favorite in all these scriptures, he told them to just get out. <laughs> Sometimes you need to do that. <laughs> when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. He took the damsel by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is being translated, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straight away the damsel arose and walked, for she was the, of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given to her to eat. I mean, Jesus thinks about everything. Now that I've done this, you know, go have some crackers or something, you know which is incredible. You may be seated. Thank you for standing so long. <clears throat> you know, Antioch, we cannot see the future. Some of us might pretend we can. But, Pastor, we can't. You know, the, 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 the wealthy are just as blind as the poor. You know, you cannot have enough money and then suddenly see the future. The educated are just as sightless as the unschooled. None of us know how our children are really going to turn out. That's the scary part. You know, you do your best. You raise them up in the ways of the Lord, but they, they make their choices. You don't know uh, how they're going to turn out. Young ladies, you may think you know who you're going to get married to, but you're going to be surprised. <laughs> then in a good way. <laughs> no one knows who he or she may marry and try as we might to walk as straight as we can. Chances are a toe is going to get stubbed. Chances are we're going to get hurt. And this unknown future causes us to struggle with fear because we're blind to the future. See, fear, fear at, at its very center is a perceived loss of control. Okay, so when you feel that you are not in charge of your life or your future, or your job, the money, or the relationship, you will fear. So you will try to control it so it ends up in a good way. I'm sorry, my voice is really gruff. I've overused it during the, you know, this last few days. At its center, it is a loss of control. When life spins wildly, what we do is we grab for a component of life we can manage. We will try to, it could be a diet. Of course, it doesn't work for me. Um, the tidiness of a house, 
Yes, sometimes when I'm feeling that my life is kind of sort of spinning, you know, there are issues going on, a problem with my mother is not feeling good, too good today. And I feel that if I cannot control it, I cannot control people, I cannot control my circumstance, I will try to control something else. My husband knows this very well when I walk around with a spray can and a cloth. He would have just wiped something clean and I would go and wipe it right after him. It just irritates him. He's, it's like, what are you doing? I just wiped it. I said, I know. Then what are you doing? I said, no, I'm just, I don't know what I'm doing. I just, it's, it's automatic. I'm, I've got a habit. He said, you are a control freak. He's a good man. He really is. He knows me. You know, sometimes he's helping me trying to hang drapes or whatever. And I'll be like, you know what? What are you doing? He says, no, I'm just hanging up. I said, no, don't worry about it. He knows what it's about. I want to, if I don't do it, nobody else is going to do it better than me. <laughs> you know why the men are laughing here more than the ladies? <laughs> They're like, "Why do you live in my house?" <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, "Honey, don't, don't, don't worry about it." He said, "No, I want to. No, don't worry about it." He said, "No, I please, don't worry about it. Just drop it." He's like, my goodness, unless you do it, it's not going to be. I said, well, yeah, and that's why I wipe the table. That's why he's going to be busy washing the dishes, and I will go, and I will be washing right next to him. <laughs> Somebody said, wow. Was that admission or shock? <laughs> shock. <laughs> okay. I'm glad. <laughs> I think it's admission. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow, that's just like me. <laughs> no, anyway. <laughs> I'm better now, a little bit. But anyway, <laughs> I'm glad he's not sitting in the front row. He'll say, she's not any better now. She's gotten worse with age. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, there was, there was, I was, I was uh, flying, um, uh, and I was seated, and I was, um, I was in the middle and there was a lady on my on the aisle seat to my to my left and a gentleman on the right now the lady on the left was a friend of mine and she believes in prayer she's got a, a you know prayers for everything and including flight about to take off and the flight about to land she's got a plane landing prayer prayer i mean it's up okay um that's good and so she was praying and uh, the plane got caught up in a little bit of turbulence in mid flight Okay, so, so she started praying. I mean, she was earnestly praying. But then what happened was, you see, remember I said that when, when fear is a perceived loss of control, we try to manage that fear by doing something that we can control. What she did was she grabbed my hand on one side. <laughs> yeah, oh, Lord is the word. And she, she grabbed the 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 the, the uh, armrest of the on the other side and then she began to rock back and forth <laughs> in Jesus name lord forgive our sins <laughs> i didn't think i sinned that morning so I was like, okay, you know, I mean, she, I, I love this lady. She's, a, she's very into prayer, but she was, and she was rocking back and forth. You know, Lord, I want, if I am to meet you today. Now, the, the man sitting on my right was not in church. Neither is he likely ever to go after that. He looked positively fearful. He looked so, he was like, he kept looking at her and then looking at me like, does she know something we don't? Are we going to survive? I tried to calm her down. I said, sis, it's going to be okay. It's turbulent, you know. But she hasn't flown a lot, you know. And so she was just going for it. She was binding every spirit in the engine, in the cockpit, and scaring everybody. It was the most frightening prayer of my life. I'm glad it ended. The turbulence and the prayer. Fear, fear sucks life out of our soul. It, it robs our sunshine and leaves us standing in the shade. 
we become like abandoned barns. Have you ever seen abandoned barns? It's very sad, you know, because at one time it was filled with something good, you know, wheat or whatever. And then when abandoned barns are such a, a, test, a bad testimony of how it could, or how it used to be. It was, it's rickety and tilting from the wind. A, a place where humanity used to eat and thrive and find, I don't want to be someone where humanity used to find warmth and used to find sustenance. And I don't want to be a past tense. I wonder what happened to Vani. You know, I mean, she used to be, uh, uh, you know, warm and giving. And, and now she, I, we look around, she's not even in church. That's what fear does. And when fear shapes your life, safety becomes your God. We begin to worship the God of safety. Jesus took a calculated risk to come down and die on the cross for us. He was not interested in being a God of safety. He, wa- he took a risk. He wants us to live bravely and boldly and take certain calculated risk in order to live for him. When safety becomes our God, we will worship the risk-free life. And I'm sorry, Christianity is not going to be a risk-free life. Loving people is risky because they may not love you back. Going across the community and teaching of knocking on a stranger's door and offering a Bible study is risky. They might slam the door and may never, you know, rejection is, the, the fear of rejection is what is staying and slowing down the church. When we can get past that, there is nothing that will stop you. Nothing will stop you from doing anything and everything because you are willing to take those risks. And that's why we need the Holy Ghost, you know. Because the scripture says that um, you will receive boldness. That boldness will enable you to quench fear. To cope with rejection. Not just cope with, overcome it. And do certain things. I'm not talking about foolish risks. I'm talking about doing things that God has asked you to do, but because of fear, you won't. And that includes even giving. Oh yeah, fearful people are not benevolent. They won't tithe. And I'm not trying to say anything here, you have a pastor. But you know what? You know why? Because, because tithing, it's kind of scary, you know? And God tells us to do scary things all the time. I wish he wouldn't, but he does. You know, go and preach the gospel. No, go and preach the gospel. Give. And I will give back to you. Press down. But if I give, I won't have enough. Give. Okay, I mean, can the safety lover really do anything great for God? No. 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 No way. The fear-filled cannot love deeply. We will love people just a little bit. We'll go around life like this. You know, just, just stand right there and don't come too close. Because if I love you, you may not love me back and I might get hurt. In fact, I did get hurt and you might think I have been hurt from, from childhood and, and people have abused me and blah, 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 blah. And so why should I love, why should I love God? I mean, what if he hurts me? You know, we will never become close. You've got to take calculated risks. You've got to trust God to the point that you will are ready to do anything and everything. Because, let me tell you what, I am not in this ride for a boring Christian life. It is risk that will help me to not be boring anymore. I don't want to be bored, Pastor. There are a lot of bored Christians. You know why? Because they are so focused on what's going on within themselves. They are so locked up and locked in that they are not willing to cross the highway and byway and invest in people's lives. You want an exciting ride? You want to be excited about Jesus? Then get off the couch and do something with your life, other people's lives. Go somewhere. I don't care. Mongolia. (laughs) 
fearful, yeah, get off, get off. Jesus was never bored. I think Judas got bored of Jesus' message. He got bored. He was like, oh, my goodness, you're going to save everybody from, we want you to save us from the Romans. You're talking about some other long-distance, faraway kingdom and plan. Excuse me. Do it now. He got bored. Took it for granted. You know what? how he ended up? The thing is, Jesus was, he was, Jesus was so busy. His life was filled. His earthly ministry was filled with miracles because he was willing to take risks. Two fish and five loaves. Are you kidding me? 5,000 people? More. And there were fragments because he said, you know what? I want an exciting plan for my life. I want, I want to be excited for God. I was bound by fear, Pastor. You know, I come from a strictly Hindu, um, Orthodox priesthood family. You know, they're, they're Brahmins. And so... Uh, my my relatives, my uncles, my grandfather, father, grandfather, great-grandfather. I don't even know how far back it goes. My mother insists that she's got a family tree right up to the early 19th or 18th, 19th century. And I'm like, what? Where did you even find it? Did they have paper back then? <laughs> Are you talking about real tree? <laughs> Never mind. So... Um, but she says in it, this is where you come from. They're very proud of, you know, the lineage, you know. And she used to, I grew up hearing this from all of my relatives, pastors. They used to say, you don't ever forget who you are. You know, you come from a priesthood. You're from your, your, your grandfather and everyone in your family. They were chief priests. You can't believe in anything else. Thank God I got bored with that. <laughs> I got bored with that. I wanted my life to change. I wanted to see miracles. I didn't want to go same old and get stuck in some religion. Let me tell you, church, if you're in danger of getting stuck in a religious thing, in religion, and you're not excited about Jesus, get out of religion and get into a relationship. Get into a relationship. Let it be red hot fire coursing through your bones. Oh, yeah, I am not going to be stuck in some religious order. Are you kidding me? No, I'm going to get involved. And if they slam the door shut in my face, it's okay. You've got a neighbor. They've got a door, too. I received an email. Thank you for getting with this message, you know, because I, I feel there's an excitement here. An excitement to reach souls. An excitement not to be bored with your life. Let me tell you, don't let poverty, don't let the lack of a job, don't let poverty, don't let stuff like that, you know, stop you. Don't let, you know, oh, well, my children, my children are not saved, you know, they're trapped in drugs. And I come from a dysfunctional uh, drug addict family, so I don't think I can. Are you kidding me? You can reach every drug addict in town. You can reach people I can't. You can touch people that I can't. Anyway, something happened about, well, not too long ago. I received an email. And on top of that email, it said, the United Nations. So, you know, I, I'm, I don't know why I always receive a lot of junk mail. Maybe you don't. A lot more people love you. I might get two emails from friends. I get 25,000 text messages, though, from clients, uh, you know, counseling. But I, I get a lot of junk mail, you know. And so this had United Nations, whatever, you know, um, New York, the United Nations headquarters in, in New York. And the email read like this, Vonnie Marshall. And I'm like, okay, the UN, <laughs> the UN knows me. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I mean, I, this must be some friend sending an April fool. It wasn't even April, you know. And I really hate that. <laughs> so, Vonnie uh, Marshall, blah, blah, uh, we would like to invite you to come to the United Nations to speak to us for about an hour. 
And I was like, this is really good. This joke is really good. And it had me going, Pastor. And so what, what happened was I, I just ignored it, like I do most junk mail. I ignored it. And uh, one week later, I even joked about it with my husband. I said, hey, the UN wrote to me. And he's like, oh, good. <laughs> when are we moving to New York? <laughs> he didn't take it seriously either. So uh, one week later, another email comes from the UN. Attention, Bonnie Marshall. would like to invite you to come and speak at the United Nations. If you, if, please confirm this is your correct email address. So I scrolled down. And I saw a phone number, and it wasn't one eight hundred. Thank God, I wouldn't have called. So it was, it was, you know, whatever number. And I picked up my phone, and I thought, I'm going to either put an end to this or find out what's what's behind this. I didn't expect anyone to pick it up, so I called. And I called, and this lady picked up the phone, and I said, um, "Is this the United Nations?" I felt so foolish. I said, "Is this the United Nations?" She said, yes, it is. This is the United Nations, the office of the Secretary General. I said, oh, you're good. <laughs> she even knew the word Secretary General. <laughs> I said, okay. I said, um, is your name? I can't reveal her name. And I said, uh, because it was a real person, come to find out. I said, are you so-and-so? She said, yes. She said, Who's, who am I speaking to? I said, um... I'm Vani Marshall. She said, oh, Miss Marshall, we've been trying to contact you. I said, wait a minute. You're the United Nations? <laughs> she must have thought I was, a, never mind. But she, um, I was about to say a politically not correct word. Um, and she said, um, yes. And, 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 and I said, what do you really want me to do? She said, we would like you to come and talk to us. You know, when, 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 Faithful people will immediately know what to talk about. I just lost my memory for about 10 seconds there. And I froze and I asked her, about what? <laughs> if Jesus was looking at me at that time, he would have shaken his head. About what? Sure. I would shake my head at me if I was him. So, and, and, um, and I said, about what? And she said, well, one of our staff that works with the, with, with, within my office, one of my team members, she saw your testimony on YouTube. I said, okay, so this is the United Nations. <laughs> it's not United Apostolic something, something. It's, you know, and she's, she's, she's like, no, 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 one of our team members, and, you know, uh, I, she's from a, she has a sort of a Christian background, and she saw a, a, your testimony, and she told us about it, and we thought that you could come and talk to us, and she, and, and, um, she also knows that you were involved in uh, resettlement of refugees and stuff like that. We've got a refugee organization within the UN, and you could come and talk. I said, okay, and she said, we will fly you down to New York. I said, well, in that case, I'll come. <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> She said, okay, and so when you come, there will be someone from the UN to pick you up at the airport. Okay, so I arrive at LaGuardia Airport uh, with my little hand carry. I didn't take much. I thought, you know, after they saw me, they'd probably deport me or something, you know. So I didn't want to take too much. So, um, <laughs> for the record, I'm an American. Nobody's going to do that to me. You're not going to be a wall big enough to keep me out. I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Let me get back to the story. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm just having fun. It's a great morning. Okay. So, <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus, help me. So, I'm at the airport, and there's this man. I mean, he's like, I, I'm sure he was nine feet tall. Not really, but, you know, he looked like. Nine feet tall, jet black hair, black eyes, black coat, black great coats, winter. So all of that. And he was just looking at me. And I went up because, and he had a, he had a card that had my name on it. So I was like, okay. So I went to him. He said, are you Vani Marshall? Um, yeah. <laughs> he said, follow me. And it was not like way Jesus said that. It was very different, in a very different spirit. 
<laughs> you know. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> I'm glad y'all are having fun time. <clears throat> I'm glad I'm funny. So anyway, so I, I I went up and he said, "Follow me," and and I followed him, and 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 it was this long black car. You know, it was a, it was a limousine from the UN, but it looked like a hearse to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, oh no. And he, 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 he grabbed a hold of my, of my uh, luggage, uh, put it in the trunk, and then opened the back door and said, get inside. <laughs> and I said, oh my God, I'm being kidnapped by a Russian spy. <laughs> and my husband doesn't know how to hang the drapes. <laughs> you know how we women are. We worry about really irrelevant stuff. You know, we're getting kidnapped and worried about who's going to load the dishwasher. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and, and so, so I went to the back and I and I sat at the back seat. There was a glass thing, you know, between us, and uh, we drove and drove and drove and drove. I don't live in New York, so I don't know. You know, we drove for a long, long time. Finally, I got nervous. I knocked on the glass. He rolled it down. He said, "I said, are we going to the UN?" He must have thought, why do the United Nations invite people like this, you know? He said, yes. I said, all right. Um, and then finally we arrive. He opens the door. I get out. He says, this is the one United Nations hotel. Your room is, you know, there and uh, you will check in. And somebody from the UN, which is just across the road. I didn't even know UN had a hotel uh, that they house their visitors or guests. And um, the person who's your contact will come and <laughs> your contact will make contact with you. I'm telling you, I was like, a, I was in a spy thing or whatever. I don't know. And uh, I said, okay. So he gave me my bag and I waited. I didn't even go in the hotel. I waited. And this woman rushes across. The woman that spoke to me on the phone says, Miss Marshall, you're here. Can you go up, freshen up? You are on in about an hour. I'm like, on what? She said, no, you, you will follow me. I'll wait downstairs for you. We're going to go to the, um, the, 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 um, the place where you will be speaking. I said, all right. So I went up, freshened up, come, came down. She took me to this place, and people were coming in. It was kind of an auditorium. It was like theater-style seating, you know, kind of riser seating. And people were coming in. They were ambassadors, doctors, professors, UN representatives, advisors, special advisors to the general secretary, Everyone uh, representing different nations were coming in. The sound man came up to me and said like this, you're on. It was not church, you see. <laughs> Nobody smiled at me. If it was church, it would have been easy. That's my, you know, it's, it's a, a familiar ground. This was, I don't know what I was going to be talking about. I had a few notes on what I did. And, and um, so it started... And I said, well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for inviting me to the UN. And I started speaking about refugee resettlement, the community work that I do, the community work my husband and I do. It was really all about me that I was talking about because I was trying to impress highly educated, influential people. And the Lord, right in the middle of it, like five minutes into it, the Lord spoke to me and said, tell them I'm going to fill them. I ignored him, of course, uh, and I was like, I, I, I'm pretty sure I didn't take Benadryl that morning. So, and, and so, and so, um, I continued to talk and continued to try to impress them with all the work and the charities that I was involved in. I really was; I was not making it up. But I didn't think they would be interested in anything else. I talked about my travels to New Zealand, Asia, where I'm from, blah blah. I didn't do. And then the Lord again. This time, he didn't sound very kind. He said, tell them I'm going to fill them. And I'm like, you tell them. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. I thought it. <laughs> um, and so, and so I, I, I said, okay, okay. Because God is, you know, he, he'll, he'll be very heavy on my heart if I don't obey him. So I stood there and I just changed the entire course of that speech. I just said, my friends, some of you are, you know, making serious decisions in your own department. Some of you are special advisors to nuclear disarmament, refugee resettlement, peace, environment, arms treaties. You do all of this. But I want to tell you something. You need an external power and wisdom in order to do it well. 
you need the power of God. And then I started talking to them about my testimony, where I come from, that I worship 2,000 gods, that in the end there was only one God, one name that saved me. That in the end that there was no need for me to worship many gods because there are no many gods. There is but one God and one Lord, one baptism, one spirit. And so, and so I begin to talk about my testimony. There there was no reaction from, it was not like this, I can tell you that. There was no reaction. They all had their arms folded, but some of them were leaned just a little bit in front. And they leaned and they had their arms folded, no smiling. They were just staring at me. The media guy was also staring at me. And, uh, and so, and, and I kept talking and I said, you need what the Bible calls the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit of God. And when you receive it, this is what's going to happen to you and all of that. And then the Lord said, okay, you can stop now. Tell them to uh, acknowledge how many want the Holy Ghost. I was like, how many here you want the Holy Ghost? And every hand in that room shot up. Every hand shot up. The United Nations. Every hand went up. The woman that invited me, her hand went up. And everybody, there was, there were some doctors there that were special advisors in nuclear disarmament, different kinds of organizations. The UN is not one organization, it's many organizations housed by, uh, the United Nations. And, and their hands were up. And when their hands went up, my mind went blank. I mean, this is not church. I know exactly what to do in church. What do you do? Your hands went up. And I told the Lord, now what? Their hands are up. And the Lord was, I don't believe this. The Lord said, well, tell them to receive the Holy. I said, okay, well, those of you whose hands are up, and that was every one of them. I would like to invite you right up in front. I would like to pray with you. There are people here that, because, you know, the lady that saw my testimony, she was there. There's other Christians here. They will pray with you and you will receive this power. You will receive the Holy Ghost. The very first person that ran in front, she didn't walk. She had a hijab. She was wearing a hijab, beautiful looking lady. She came up to me and she said, I am Muslim. And I said, well, Jesus loves you. That's all you say, no matter what they tell you. No matter what they say to you, what, how much they reveal to you. That's all you say. I am Muslim. Well, Jesus loves you. I'm, I, Jesus loves you. I have an alternate lifestyle. Jesus loves you. He wants to change you. He wants to set you free. And so she came up in front. She said, I am a representative to the general secretary from the nation of Somalia. I said, well, praise God. And she said, do you think that God will fill me with this power? I said, do you want it? She said, yes. I said, if you give your life to God and you want it, he will fill you. She got the Holy Ghost first. At the end of that At the end of that session, at the end of that service in the United Nations, 14 individuals received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 14 people in the UN. You've got brothers and sisters in the United Nations right now. I was crying. People were weeping. There was just an amazing power of God that was there. And then uh, I left that place. I was, I was exhausted. I was tired. And then I went back to the hotel room. I went back to the hotel room and I was about to just, you know, get some refreshment, about to eat something that the hotel people downstairs, they called me. Reception called me. They said, uh, Miss Marshall? I said, yes. Uh, there are two people from the UN downstairs. They'd like to see you. And I'm like, okay, here it comes. Now they're going to deport me. <laughs> I'm like, really? Yes. They're, they're, yes, I said, okay. I said, and she, they said, there are two ladies here. And I'm like, oh. I said, well, send them up to the room. I said, okay. They came up. They knocked on the door. I opened the door. There was a tall lady and a shorter lady. The tall lady looked at me. She was wearing a coat. And she was like, are you Vani Marshall? And I'm like, why are the Russians following me? <laughs> and 
And she looked at I said, yes. She said, I am from uh, Serbia. And I'm like, okay. Uh, okay. This is my secretary. She's from Romania. And I'm like, all right. She said, I heard you have a prayer meeting or some meeting, Christian meeting in the UN. I said, yes, we just finished. I did not want to come for your meeting. I said, okay, because I want to talk to you privately. I said, all right, do you want to come in? She said, yes. They both came in, and I said, well, please sit down. Gave them some water to drink and all of that, and then they sat down, and she said, my father is very sick. He's dying, but he's in Serbia. He's in a hospital, and uh, I did not want to come in front of everybody. I'm a private person. I am a senior officer in the United Nations, so I don't want anyone to know about me. I don't want to tell you my name. I said, you don't have to, but she ended up telling me her name. She still writes to me, you know secretly. And she says, she told me, she told me, she said, I feel, I believe that if you pray here with me, my father can be healed. I said, okay, all right, we will pray. And then the Holy Ghost spoke to me. And the Lord said, exactly, and the Lord said to me, tell her I want to fill her. And I was like, not again. And, and, and the Lord said, tell her I want to fill her. I want to fill both of them. And I'm like, I'm like, listen, we can pray for your dad. And I believe that Jesus can heal. I really do. If you believe it, it can happen. But God wants to fill you with that same spirit that 14 people just got in at the UN. She said, God wants to stay with me. He wa- God wants to live inside me. Why? I said, I don't know. <laughs> Quite frankly, if I was God, I wouldn't. Some of the people. She's like, you don't. I say, I, I have no clue why God wants to come and live in me. I'm not a perfect. I'm, I'm, there are days when I'm good and there are days when I'm not. I don't know why God wants to come and live in me. I'm just glad he does. I'm glad he wants to. I'm glad he wants to make me heir together with Christ to rule and reign for all eternity. I'm just glad he wants to. And she's like, and she's like, okay. She said, okay, you pray. I receive God inside of me. And then she began to just worship God. And in within 60 seconds, she was speaking in tongues. Ladies, you know, you know the 31 that got the Holy Ghost? Most of them within 60 seconds, they were talking in tongues. God wants you to receive this baptism of power more than you want it. She was speaking in tongues. She, and then I had to make sure she was not speaking in a Serbian or Russian language. So I asked her, I said, do you understand what you're saying? She said, no, what is this? And I'm like, good. She's like, what is it? I said, I'll tell you later. Just, just enjoy the Lord and then I'll show you the scriptures of what happened to you. You're speaking in another language, which is a sign that you received the Holy Ghost. All right? She said, okay. Well, I turned around. The Romanian was on her knees. She was from a particular, another religious denomination. She was on her knees and she was just weeping. The Lord said, go pray with her. And I told this taller lady, I said, hey, you've got the Holy Ghost. Come help me pray with her. That lady laid hands on the Romanian. The Romanian got the Holy Ghost. Jarius had it all. If he lived today, he would be a VIP. Like a governor or influential leader in the community. Jarius would have had a, I don't know, job security, a guaranteed welcome at the local sports club. I'm not sure, but Jarius would be like a governor. Beautiful house, golf every Thursday. He was a VIP. But who could ask for more? But at that moment when Jerry's daughter was dying, he needed more. He needed more than his money or education or position could afford or could bring him. He needed more. He needed Jesus to intervene. I mean, he would have traded the whole package of perks and privileges for just one assurance that his daughter would live. 
the Jarius we see in the story, in this story, we don't see a nicely groomed Jarius. You know, uh, you know maybe, maybe he was nicely groomed, but we don't see that. We don't see a groomed civic leader. We see a blind, desperate man begging for a moment, begging for a miracle, begging for a gift. You know how I know that? Because he fell at Jesus' feet. That is how to be positioned for deliverance. You fall at his feet. You don't hold back. You don't say, well, you know, it, I mean, you know, Jarius could have said this. You know, a lot of VIPs, you know, they have got a lot of influence, right? A lot of money, a lot of position. And so he didn't come to Jesus and try to make a trade. Hey, you know, you do me a favor and I'll call, make some calls and get you some preaching points. You know, I'll call up some synagogues. <laughs> no, he said, he pleads with Jesus. My daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she'll be healed and will live. He doesn't negotiate with Jesus. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't say, you know, you, you handle this problem of mine and, and anytime anybody's after you, I'll, I'll rescue you. There are times in life when everything you have to offer is nothing compared to what you are asking to receive. Jairus was at such a point. What could a man offer in exchange for the life of his child? No haggling. No games. That's who Jesus will fill. No haggling. No trade-off. I mean, I'll come to church if you do this for me. You know, it's, after all, I'm doing you a favor, Lord, right? I'm here. Come on. Seriously? No. No. <laughs> no masquerades. The situation is starkly simple. Jesus was blind to the future. Sorry, Jarius was blind to the future. But Jesus knew the future. Before Jesus and Jairus get very far, they are interrupted by a bearer of bad news. A messenger comes and says, don't bother the master anymore, your daughter. Don't you just hate that? Jesus is about to do something great for you and somebody calls you. Somebody calls you and says, hey, you prayed about that last week. Nothing happened. Why do you keep praying for the same old thing? Why do you keep going to the altar asking God for the same old thing? I mean, you've asked God to heal you for the last one year. Nothing has happened. You've asked God to give you a miracle in that area of finances. Nothing has happened. You might as well give up on the master. Leave God alone. He's got no time for you. And that's when Jesus took over. At first... At first, Jesus was following Jairus to the house. But when that bad news bearer came and said, don't disturb Jesus, your daughter is dead. Jesus said, wait, now follow me. I'm going to show you. Jesus wants to roll up his sleeve and do miracles in our lives. Don't be distracted. Don't get distracted by bad news or bad circumstances. You know what scripture says? Scripture says Jesus paid no attention. He paid no attention to that messenger who said, your daughter is dead, don't bother the master. I love that line, he paid no attention. You know something, Antioch? You need to stop paying attention to stuff that's going to distract you from God's miracles. You need to block out. You need to, you need to close your ears and ignore what faithless, fearful people don't be hanging on the phone for 45 minutes with somebody who's trashing your faith, trashing the church, trashing the leadership, trashing your walk. What are you doing? Hang up. Log off. I have no time for people who trash. Anybody, they trash Jesus, bye. They trash the pastor, they trash my church, they trash my faith. I'm sorry, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to be listening to you. You get sobered up and then you call me. You got to block them out, turn them off and shine. Close your ears. Ignore the ones who say it's too late to start over. Ignore the ones who say God's not going to come through for you. Because you made some mistakes last week, last month, maybe last night. But if you come to God, he will meet you. He's the father that's waiting for us to come home. And sometimes you need to stuff your ears with some cotton. Disregard those who say you'll never amount to anything. You kidding me? Turn a deaf ear towards those who will say you aren't smart enough, bold enough, fast enough, tall enough, beautiful enough, or strong enough. Well, you might be right, but I serve a God who is big enough, strong enough, beautiful enough, kind enough, powerful enough, 
tall enough. Jesus turns to Jairus and compels him to see the unseen. Don't be afraid, just believe. Don't limit your possibilities to the visible. Don't listen only for the audible. Don't be controlled by just the logical. Believe there is more to your life than meets the eye. Jesus asks you this morning to see the unseen. Let's stand. You need to make a choice this morning. Either to live by the facts or to see by faith. And when tragedy strikes, we can choose to see the hurt or choose to see the healer. Jairus made his choice. Jesus comes to his house and resurrects the dead child. Position yourself for deliverance and stop treating fear with angry outbursts or threats. I'm never going to go to that church again. Nothing ever happens to me. Nothing have ever, God didn't do anything for me. God does everything for everybody else. You know what? You hang in there. Don't get an attitude about stuff. Don't get bitterness and, 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 and anger in your heart. If God has not done it yet, he is testing to see how far down the journey you're willing to go. He wants you to come and receive. Listen, there might be visitors among us and I'm pretty sure there are. There might be guests or there might be people that you're not a guest. You know, you've been coming for a while, but you need to receive this baptism of power before you go. And I know it's lunchtime or going to be. I need you to come forward and stand together to the altar because we're going to pray. If you've brought a visitor, you've brought a guest, give them that space to come forward. If you need a rebaptism, a rebaptism of power from God. You need to come forward. Be as quick as you can. Thank you, my dear. What's your name? Eliza, are you visiting? First time here? Nice to meet you, Eliza. Do you want to come real close? I promise you that I'm not going to try to jump into your arms. <laughs> come on, is this your friend? Well, you need to stand with her. Anybody else? All right. Do you want to come and stand here? Can we just have, come on, if you've got, listen. This is not about you joining a church. This is about you becoming part of the kingdom of God. Visiting? Oh, okay. You, you visited before? What is your name? Song. Korean? Okay. Kamsamida. Kamsamida. That's about all I know in Korean, though. If you start talking a lot in Korean, then I'm just going to have to talk in Hindi or something like that. Thank you, Song, for coming up. <laughs> well, you're going to get the Holy Ghost, Eliza. Anyone else? Anyone that wants to be baptized with power this morning before you go home? My younger brother was away for years. He was highly educated, good-looking guy. But he just, yeah, I don't know, hung out with some people, got into drugs, alcohol, you know. Good guy, though, really good guy. Just was strung out most of the time. I loved him, love him still. He just didn't want to come back. He thought that God's not going to help church people they don't love me I'm going to have to sort it out on my own you know you know the fear we want to control our own lives right and one day he came back I couldn't even recognize him just like you standing right there God filled him he teaches Bible studies to people who walked his walk people who are afraid to come back home you know, and he has a burden and a love for those that are just scared to come back home. But God told him that very little people can, very few people can reach the people you can. And so he teaches Bible studies once a week for those that have been part of the family and then just went away. And so many have come back because of him. 
So you know what you've got to do, right? After, afterward. God's got a job cut out for you. Because there are people only you can reach that I will never meet. You know exactly where they live, where they are, and what they're doing right now. So when you leave this morning, make some calls. Meet people. And gently and lovingly bring them to where you are. Were you at ladies' conference? No, you were not. No, that's right. I thought I saw somebody look like you. What's your name? here to receive the Holy Ghost, can I just ask you, if you don't mind, just for a few moments, can you put your hand up, please? Thank you. Alexis Song. What's your name, ma'am? Deborah. Deborah. Cam. Eliza. Oh, I remember all their names. Anyone else? If there's anyone else, because I'd like Pastor and the team that he is appointed to pray for people, okay? And if they're ladies, let's pray for ladies. If you're here with them as a friend, and altar workers, would you come and would you stand in front of the person whose hand is up like this? Would you do that, please? Ministers, ministers, and those that pastor is appointed, come and let's pray for them. Oh, is, there, is this as well? Oh, is that the Holy Ghost? But you want, you want, oh, that, yeah, yeah. I, tell, I know exactly how that works. You've already come back. Look at me. Right now, you've come back. Just you standing here. You're back. God just wants to seal that. Okay? He wants to seal it with his spirit. All right. Exactly. That's exactly right. You know. All right, people. Those song I'd like to pray with you. Is that okay? All right. Everyone, your hands are lifted. Now lift up the other hand. Both your hands sky high. What I'd like pastor to do, if it's okay, I'm not trying to put pastor on the spot, but I'd like pastor to give the word of faith for you to receive the Holy Ghost, okay? I'm going to be with you to pray you pray with you, but I want pastor to give the word of faith because he's the shepherd of the, of the church and, and to say, receive the Holy Ghost or whatever else he wants to share. And then we're going to pray people. Now listen, if you've already received the Holy Ghost a week ago, 10 years ago, 4 years ago, but you just want a refreshing, you come on too. We want to pray with you. You know, there are several here that have said, I've stepped away, but I want to come back home. That's what it's about. Come back home. Come back home, Pastor.